Hello everyone, this is Elizabeth from Methods in Ecology and Evolution, and today we have Annette Bowdish with us, who is going to talk about her new paper, The Pace and Shape of Ageing. So, what led you to be interested in this area of research? So, during my PhD I was working on the question of why we age. So why do we have to grow older, and why does the risk of dying have to increase with age? And also the question whether senescence could be avoided by any particular organism. And then often when I talked to people about what I was working on, then they said, well, but surely everything has to die. And and I said, yes, sure, everything has to die, but that doesn't mean that species have to senesce. So, so I realized that there was a sort of an ingrained idea that when you talk about non-senescence, people think you talk about not dying or like living infinitely long. But that doesn't need to be the case it, in terms of in like non-senescence or negative senescence. The only question is whether the risk of dying could maybe remain constant with age or decrease. So people seem to look for examples of negligible senescence or avoiding senescence in species that, that live very, very long times. And so the, coming to the pace and shape of aging idea, it's very simple. It's, it's saying that species that live a short time could still show declining risk of death with age. They just simply live on different timescales. So that, that was kind of the, the trigger that led me to the question of distinguishing the pace and shape of aging because I felt that we don't really, we don't really understand what we mean by non-senescence if we simply translate it as long-lived species, which isn't the case. So why is your research of particular interest to the wider community? Well, I feel that the, the age patterns of mortality and fertility, which is what we use to define aging. So maybe let me step back for, for a second because I know that many people who work on aging have a different idea of what they mean by aging. And aging, for instance, for biologists are often, if you look at the plant, then the deterioration of the, of the leaves could be sort of as aging plant or something like that. But if we study aging in a comparative perspective across species, then we compare mortality and fertility patterns. And these patterns, for a wider community are very essential. If you study populations, you need to quantify mortality and fertility. And if you're interested in fertility, oftentimes people assume constant mortality. Or if you quantify, uh, if you're interested in mortality, then you just assume fertility is constant or something like that. So understanding where these patterns come from and what determines these patterns in terms of evolution is essential for any, any population science and my work contributes to better understanding the age patterns of mortality and fertility. Now, in your paper, you've identified the need to distinguish between two different components of the aging process. Yeah, what I'm suggesting is that to distinguish between the pace of aging and the shape of aging. And what the pace of aging is, it, it captures the time aspect of aging and it describes on how quickly organisms live or if you want to focus on mortality, on what time scale the process of death happens, whether death happens over a very short time or over a very long time. So, for instance, in a fruit fly, death happens per day, let's say. But if you talk about humans, it makes much more sense to talk about years or even decades. So you calculate death rates per year in one species, but death rates per day in another species. And if you want to compare different species that experience their life on different timescales, you somehow rather need to standardize in order to take into account for this dif of this difference. And um, people often do that if they think about their pets, like their dogs, and then they calculate dog years, how old their dog would be in terms of human years, 
or for their cats, like cat ears. So intuitively, people know that, but it hasn't been systematically applied to comparative research, especially not comparative research in, in aging. So we, we distinguish on the one side the pace of aging, so the time scale on which organisms experience death and birth. And on the other hand, I distinguish the shape of aging. And the shape of aging in my framework means how mortality changes with age. Does mortality stay constant over age? Or does it go up with age? Or does it go down with age? And if it goes up, how much? Like, does mortality double? Or does mortality go up a hundred times? Or does it decrease a hundred times over the course of adult life? So this, this is a shape of aging that does not depend on the time axis that you look at. So mortality could go up very steeply, for instance, in human beings. So over the course of adult life, mortality um, goes up 35-fold relative to the overall level of mortality. While in other species, mortality might just double over the course of adult life. So humans have a very steep shape of mortality, while some other creatures um, that live in the wild they might just have a doubling of mortality. Now, you've picked 10 case study species to apply this analysis to, ranging from sturgeon and gulls to chimpanzees and humans. Why did you choose these particular species? Well, I, I chose this species because um, basically that was the only data I had at, at hand. So I, I have very good access to human mortality data because here at the Max Planck Institute for Demographic Research, um, we have the human mortality database and I can use any particular year of human mortality to study humans. I did also have access to chimpanzee data that were published. Um, but then it becomes already very difficult to get at the age patterns of mortality for different species there. I, had, I, I do have good, as I said, I have good access for human mortality data. And there is some information about chimpanzee data that has been published by Kaplan and Gurven. But then it's really difficult to get data on age patterns of mortality across the tree of life. And the only published source that I could get my hands on was the book, basically the Bible of Gerontology um, by Tuck Finch, where he publishes a long list of um, mortality parameters for different species. And I simply tried to pick those species where I felt that the data were most reliable and that covered a range of different species. So having birds and, and uh, fish and mammals um, and then also I didn't want to pick like a humongous amount of uh, different species um, because the paper is about the concepts and I wanted to just exemplify the, con uh, the, the concepts. But a data paper will soon follow and we are having an enterprise here at the Institute to collect a lot of live table data that have been published and trying to get a bigger picture. But there is a really need for more data. So who will this new framework be most useful to, and how can it be applied? Of course, first of all, it will be most useful for people who study aging across non-human species, because it gives a tool of searching the patterns of aging across species and to find patterns, especially if you plot species, many species in case shape space, you will find that, or hopefully that's my, yeah, that's my hope, that you find species clustering in different corners of the pace shape space, and then you might start developing hypotheses about why certain species uh, share a common pace and shape of aging. So essentially, I believe that the pace and shape are two life history traits that 
can be added to the characteristic list of yeah the list of char- species characteristics. So we know like species the age of maturity and the length of life and the number of offspring they, they give. And then to that list we can add the shape of aging, which hasn't been added before because it has been confounded with the rate of aging, which is rather an expression of the pace of aging. But more broadly, the pace-shape framework gives a framework for studying the age patterns of mortality and fertility and understanding, as I said previously, understanding the age patterns of mortality and fertility is essential to any science that deals with populations. So finally, what do you see as the next step in this field of research? The next step that we already started taking is we want to um, develop much much better measures and estimates, estimators of measures of the pace and shape of aging, because the measures that I applied in the paper are very simple. Um, and of course, this can be done much much more sophisticated, and we want to test different measures given different qualities of data, because how reliable are certain measures if you just have a sample size of, say, 50 or 100 and not thousand or ten thousand individuals as as human demographers have at hand. We can or even deal with population size of a million that you don't have the problem anymore of significance. Um, and the other thing we want to do is come up with hypotheses about determinants of aging patterns. So what traits is it that determine whether a species follows a positive senescence or a negative senescence path, if you want? So we want to come up with new measures of pace and shape, explore data that, well, we're going to gather data, we're going to explore the data. And of course, we can't do that alone. So around the world, there are many people having data and who could simply apply these also very simple measures and add to the knowledge of pace and shape across the tree of life. Thank you, Annette, for speaking with us today. Thank you. This was a pleasure. And thank you for listening. This has been a podcast for Methods in Ecology and Evolution on behalf of the British Ecological Society.